0: Welcome to The Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, The Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
1: Welcome to The Money Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Lee Caraher. She is the CEO at Double Forte PR and Digital Marketing based in San Francisco. And she's also the author of two books, the latest of which is called The Boomerang Principle, inspire lifetime loyalty from your employees welcome to the show lee
2: jordan thanks so much for having me
1: let's hear your uh life story a little bit leading up to forming of your firm and the uh, writing of this book
2: sure uh let's see. i was born on the east coast and then i decided to go to college in the midwest because i felt we should get out i should get out of new england while well, the going was good um, and But after college, which I went to Carleton College where I got a degree in medieval history, which is super, super useful, I moved back to Boston and got into PR uh, really as a lark. And I was very, very fortunate to find the career at 22 that has um, held me through my whole career professionally. Um, uh, worked in agencies on the East Coast. And then um, in one winter, I suffered from the... Uh, light disorder that gets you depressed, and my doctor said, you should go to a tanning booth every day during the winter, and I was like, I'm Irish, I'm going to be like a potato chip in a week, (laughs) and instead of that, I thought, you know what I should do? I should move where the sun is, so I moved to California, moved to uh, Los Angeles, um, not knowing a soul there. And I worked at another awesome agency and then um, was exposed to the video game world. And from the video game world was recruited into Sega of America when Sega was a billion and a half dollar company in this country where I I ran all communications, public relations, customer service, um, the website and events. And it was a wonderful, wonderful um, experience uh, that really has brought me um, since then, brought me just a huge platform on which to build. Um, I left there after the company decided to go forward with its last platform called Dreamcast, which we knew would kill the company financially, even though it would be a great, huge public relations success. Uh, And I went to work at a very large um, publicly traded media company where I started a consumer technology brand in the um, uh, public relations and integrated marketing space. After um, 9-11, 9-11 was a watershed moment for me. In that I had been on the plane, uh, that same plane from New York to San Francisco, one week earlier. And uh, that sort of crystallized the fact that I didn't want to do that anymore. And I executed my contract and left there, um, thinking I would take a whole year off and figure out what was next. I had never done that before, and at this time I had two young children and a husband and a house and a dog and a cat and all that kind of stuff. Uh, my intention was to take a year off. In the end, I drove my family nuts by being home and categorizing my closets and all that kind of stuff and um, decided to go back to work. I decided I hated the agency world. I didn't want to go back to that, thought I would get another job like uh, the one I had at Sega, uh, was way down the path on uh, finding that next job uh, for between two companies when my mother was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer and given three or four months to live. At that time, I was like, well, I better not take those jobs because I can't be in Wisconsin and be in San Francisco at the same time uh, because I was going to be with my mom uh, as she met her end. Um, So I pulled out of those job hunts and uh, realized that at that moment in time, I needed to have much more flexibility in my career than taking that great job I'd had at Sega in another place would have afforded me. My mom ended up um, living for four years, and um, I had started Double Forte then with a friend in 2002, um, and lived in Wisconsin halftime for those first four years of this company. And this year now, we will celebrate our 15th anniversary on Labor Day. I wrote my first book, Millennials in Management, uh, was published in 2014, really out of the abject failure we had at rec- retaining millennials in Double Forte. Uh, and trying to figure it out ourselves and because uh, everything I read was so negative and I was determined to have a positive point of view about this such an important generation. Um, And then my second book, The Boomerang Principle, which came out earlier this year, is really the next book on that and the same kind of concept around what's the future of work and how do you create a business that is future-proof, that um, incorporates the generations that we will all have in our businesses for the foreseeable future. And that brings me to today.
1: Tell me about Double Forte. What kind of clients do you have?
2: So Double Forte is a public relations digital marketing firm. We're based in San Francisco. We have offices in uh, Healdsburg, California, and New York City. And we separate, we specialize in three uh, sort of big categories. The first category is consumer lifestyle, food and beverage, uh, health and wellness, sports and fitness, uh, apparel, and accessories. The second one is digital life, so video games, uh, video game technology technology. Um, Augmented reality, virtual reality, apps, technologies that you and I would use in our regular day, not very much enterprise work. And then our third category is wine. We work with nine or 10 very large wineries, um, in mostly that are based on the West Coast.
1: Uh-huh. Very good. So let's kind of get to the problem first. Uh, people have a certain image of what it's like to hire and work with millennials. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is right and what's wrong about that image?
2: A lot is wrong about the image. There is so much negativity around millennials. And this year, we're t- millennials are between the ages of 16 and 36. And I use Pew Research as my source on that just to give a grounding on that. Um, the, biggest, um, the biggest myth is that millennials, 80 million of them, are all entitled. And uh, while it might look that way by through their uh, behavior, particularly seen through the eyes of a Gen Xer or a boomer, Um, My belief is that, no, they're not entitled. It's statistically impossible for 80 million people to be entitled. Uh, They are conditioned to act a certain way based on their upbringing, based on technology, and based on the education system. And so what I have done is try to sort of break down those negative myths and find other ways for people to understand how uh, this generation looks at things differently and can use it in a positive way. I mean, one of the key
1: things people talk about is that millennials are not loyal anymore. They mm-hmm. assume they're going to be jumping from one job to another, and therefore you it's not worth investing in them because you're going to train them everything and then they're just going to go somewhere else. Is that mm-hmm. incorrect perception?
2: That is a correct... That is, the facts are right in that millennials in general do not stay in jobs as long as their Gen X and Boomer colleagues would have. Um, but the purpose and the reason is is... The, the interpretation of that I think is very wrong. Um, and of course the, uh, bitterness that comes in that, you know, obviously you're not loyal to me that it just is just dripping with subjectivity, right. Um, and the, uh, disappointment of someone leaving before we wanted them to when in fact, uh, parents and the economy have been hammering on millennials not to count on one company to carry a career and the fact that millennials need you know this generation really needs to craft their own career and and forge a different kind of way than their parents did so it's it's all sort of fraught with uh, subjectivity and uh, reality all at the same time. So why is there so much negativity
1: about hiring millennials because People assume they're going to be jumping from one place to another. Or what's the source of that negativity? And you're saying it's it's not really correctly placed.
2: I think it's not correctly placed at all. I think a lot of the source of negativity is around um, – depending on who's talking about it, is around uh, particularly boomers' disappointment with their own condition. Most boomers, so the youngest boomer this year is 53, and most boomers um, thought they would be retired by now, truly. And we still have boomers uh, today. The oldest boomer is 69, 68 this year, um, who are still not retired, and eight years past what they thought would be their retirement age. um, And in the Great Recession, really totally sort of uh, imploded the dream of uh, boomers in this country particularly working boomers obviously um, and at the same time as the uncertainty around corporate America of, of what you can count on and what you can't and the those ideas around work hard will take care of you which is what I grew up in in my workplace Um we know that that's not true, and we know that corporate America, particularly publicly traded corporate America, can can control very little uh, about this. So the idea that a millennial would come in and leave fast and not sort of work their way up and all this kind of stuff and find another better job before they had become really totally useful in their own job, uh, which takes a while no matter what job you have. Is sort of um, the realization that that old construct, stay long, uh, take care of you, take care of me, is really broken. And I think that um, creates a lot of tension and um, dissatisfaction. Because in the end, when we hire someone, we know they're going to leave us. Well, our disappointment is, is when they leave us before we want them to. Um, and sort of how you manage those things. So you're uh, saying it's today. an
1: unrealistic expectation from the beginning to assume that somebody's going to come... Work hard, work their way up and stay a long time they should people shouldn't even expect that from the beginning is what you're saying
2: absolutely they should not expect that
1: and so is it a generational thing the the boomers and the Gen Xers kind of assume that and the Millennials
2: don't assume that I think it's not necessarily a gen I mean I think millennials Us know, millennials know they have to take care of their own careers and they can't count on one company to hold them. And they also know that they are going to work for a very, very long time Uh, and uh, particularly younger ones, under 30 year old millennials, you know, have an idea that they might have seven or eight careers not jobs, careers during their whole life. Uh, And they might have up to 15 jobs. So this is already part of their um, gestalt as they graduate from college. So you have that happening at the same time as, um, you know, the disappointment of a first job is pretty palpable. It's always been palpable. This is nothing new. My first job was nothing that I thought the world was going to be. And almost everybody, um, who works has that realization once they graduate from college. And I'm talking really, really about white collar jobs here where, um, you know, we all thought uh, it'd be a lot easier. This life thing would be a lot easier. The difference today is that there are a lot more options for millennials. There's a fallback to move home. 39% of working millennials live at home. Um, and they also have this gig economy, um, these gig platforms that they can engage on that give them other options if they want them. So they've got a we, lot
1: more student loan debt than their parents. And are.
2: so much student loan debt. And that is actually part of the other piece of the problem, right? We have these boomers who are disappointed in the fact that they thought they were going to be able to send their children to college and then they lost so much money um, in the great recession and I was I'm the youngest boomer in the year you know I'm, I'm 53 this year I'm the youngest boomer uh, I was very fortunate that I lost 40 percent of my wealth when, when I was much younger than this. But the people who were 50 and 60 who lost 40 percent of their wealth, uh, who thought they would be sending their children to college and really paying for the bulk of it, you know, it's 10 million kids who didn't get, didn't get that happening, right? Yeah. Uh, so these kids have so much more um, debt at the same time. Um, that's a, a tremendous pressure. They have a little bit more of a fallback with 39% of millennials who work living at home. And they also have this expectation that they want work that matters to them. And they're willing to not make money uh, and not have a, a career that they think is terrible uh, in order to do that. So it's very complicated. Um, but there are really positive ways we can deal with it in the workplace that keep people uh, in their seats longer and uh, help people get uh, stronger, more valuable careers over the long term.
1: All right. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Gooden of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Lee Caraher. She's the CEO at Double Forte Public Relations and Digital Marketing based in San Francisco. Uh, her latest book is called The Boomerang Principle, Inspire Lifetime Loyalty from Your Employees. And her website is com. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the Money Answered Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Lee Caraher. She's the CEO of Double Forte Public Relations and Digital Marketing, based in San Francisco. Her website, Lee and her latest book is called The Boomerang Principle. Welcome back to the show, Lee. Thanks, Jordan. We were talking about dealing with millennials. Um, mm-hmm. what are some things managers should do to have it work out with millennials so that they'll stay and become productive employees?
2: There are a few things that everyone can do. Um, the first piece is uh, is the science around appreciation. Uh, teams and people who feel appreciated outperform those that don't by a factor of up to three to one, which translates right to the bottom line on profit. And uh, this was one of the hardest things for me to to figure out and to understand and to apply in my own business, particularly my father was a cardiac surgeon. I grew up understanding that please and thank you are implied because if you asked, if you said those things in the Operating room, someone would die. So, uh, but when we look at the science on that, uh, we find these these actual numbers that are created, you know, that are generated out of studies done from very reputable places like Harvard and Wharton and London School of Economics. So, the first piece is just integrating thank you and please into your day, so that people understand that uh, you appreciate their efforts. Number one. Number two is context. When I started my company, my my husband gave me this uh, silver bar. It said, "Do it because I said so." Well, I put that in the drawer really quickly (laughs) because that worked for me when I started in my career. That does not work for the millennial generation. They want to understand why should I show up to work every day? Why does this company exist? And why does my work matter to the company's mission? So context is king, creating um, a strong understanding of uh, the the purpose of the company, the purpose of the team, the purpose of the role that person has, goes a long, long way in um, in terms of uh, creating good team dynamics, understanding, and great productivity. One of the biggest complaints that people have about millennials is they ask for a lot of input, that they interrupt, that they ask, you know, they they just don't go away and do something. They they start it, and ten minutes later they're back. Is this good? Is this good? Is this good? And that really comes out of not understanding, and having a full appreciation for the task at hand in the context of the company. So context is king. And you're Those saying many
1: times managers don't give them that context. They just oh, say, absolutely go not. Do just it. do
2: it. Right. Just absolutely. Go do it. And
1: they don't really understand what they're doing or why they're doing it, that kind of thing.
2: And everybody does better work when they know what the heck they're doing and why. This is not generational, but the, the management is generational on just do it because I said so is a very antiqu you know, it's an old way of thinking. Uh, and this generation has grown up being able to have any information, any access, uh, being told, you know, they're being told they can uh, make the world a different place. And so they want to know why, right? Number three is um, feedback. Feedback is super important. It's super important to everybody, but for millennials, they've had feedback in their hand on a phone most of their lives. And they're used to having their feedback matter being asked for, and they're also used to getting it. So having feedback that is specific and timely. uh, Feedback has to be fresh to be worked, to work, and you can't let someone be wrong very long. And this is also not um, true, this is not untrue for other generations, but this generation really prizes feedback, corrective and um, appreciative. So the more specific feedback you can give, the faster you can give it, the better it is. And don't, be, don't let someone be wrong very long. So those three things will go very, very far in helping uh, millennials um, be able to function really, really well and uh, have appreciation for the work at hand.
1: So get into that a little bit more. You say about not letting people be wrong. What do yeah. you mean by that? And what's, what's the impact if you do make them wrong?
2: So uh, what I mean by that is the you know, millennials get a lot of um, bad rap for being a me generation. And this is not my experience. My experience is that millennials are very much a we generation. And the way to, you know, when someone screws up, the the, the worst thing you can do is say, oh, you didn't live up to your expectation. You did a bad job. No, they don't care. What they really care is uh, you let the team down, right? Oh my gosh, that's terrible for them. So when I say the uh let's be somebody let someone be wrong, it's because they understand that they have space with other people and they don't want other people to be letting people other people down or to be talked about. No one really likes that. So um this comes out of experience on, you know, just not confronting someone when they were late and then all of a sudden it's six months later and they're still showing up late because no one said anything. And it gets to be tiresome for the manager and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and instead of uh, and, and I actually have in my first book talk about this uh, quite a bit, because so many Boomer um, managers were really fa- failing at this, failing at confronting. They thought it was very confrontational, sort of helpful, and they didn't want to be the bad guy or the bad girl. So how obviously. do they
1: handle it? If somebody's consistently late, without mm-hmm. making them wrong, how do you handle it and give them the correct feedback? If they're
2: consistently well, if they're consistently late, you haven't dealt with the issue, right? If uh, so, there's two things. One is. Uh, I said you said to Jordan, you know, um, you start with the facts, Jordan, you've come in for the last week, you've come uh, you've started your workday at ten o'clock. Um, and uh, my thought on this is that you don't understand that our day actually starts at eight thirty. My request is that you start on time, and I'm, I'm happy to help you get here on time. And usually ninety nine percent of the time, the other person had no clue that the day started at eight thirty. Um, and they're terrified. They're just mortified that they've been late. So It's
1: making it clear, making the expectations clear, clear,
2: very early. If you wait six months, three months, even two months to actually have that conversation with you, Jordan, you've been late for two months, right? First of all, late is subjective. It's not factual. Um, and, um, that already puts someone in the corner. And instead of, uh, being able to say, oh my gosh, I had no idea you've, you've, Created that judgment on them, and there's no place to go but to be defensive or come back and go. Why would you? Well, what if it really mattered to you, Jordan? Uh, why didn't you tell me? It yeah. obviously didn't matter to you for two months or six months. Why did you make? Why did you let me be wrong? I don't want to work for someone who's going to let me be wrong. I want to work for someone who's going to help hold me up and help me get you know get where I'm going. So this—that's a distrustful thing from this generation. It's not actually just from the generation; everybody that's distrustful from, but this generation really feels it, which is strange to many boomer uh, managers. Well, in previous don't
1: generations, me. it was more hierarchical. It's like, as you say, so hierarchical. Do do what I say. You don't have to ask why. Just do it. I know what's right. And you just
2: do it. I think hierarchy is antithetical to the millennial experience. You know, it's a very flat world for millennials. This group has had more power in their hand than went to the moon since they were 10, right? They've had access to any information or at least the perception of any information that that they want. They've had the power to turn JetBlue back to the um, terminal with a tweet. They've been able to um, create social action with direct email, tweet, Facebook Live, all that kind of stuff. And uh, then they get into a place that has hierarchy um, where you have to, like, not just show up in the CEO's office. And it's like, why? I've, I've had this much. Why? I can just email them, right? You know? <laughs> and um, and in, the, in the college experience, in the high school, in, and in high school education experience, it's very flat. Uh, there are so many... Um, students who call their professors by their first names today and that would never have been thought of really um when i was in college and then colleges could be doing
1: better to prepare people for the real world or is it just, just a different environment
2: i think it's both um i think you know the college has never really been an approximation of the real world unless you're going to be in education um but in today's pressure of um the pressure of having, graduating with so much debt and having to, re, to you know, start paying it back within six months uh, is not necessarily, you know, a next step in graduation <laughs> of getting a job because, you know, even if you have a degree, whatever it is, that doesn't necessarily prepare you for the actual job of showing up at 8.30, sitting down at a desk all day uh, and not, you know, being able to do what you want when you want to do it.
1: Yeah. You talk about conflict resolution a lot. I do. (laughs) How can people resolve conflict with the millennials in a a better way that it's not so kind of forceful?
2: Yeah, I really, um, I think conflict resolution is the number one skill we can all learn uh, in life, but definitely in the workplace because uh, inefficiency, and this is not because I like not to have conflict, inefficiency is comes from conflict. Inefficiency comes from the grinding that we all feel if we feel like we're not being respected or we're not being appreciated. So, the faster you can get through conflict resolution, the faster you get to an efficient workplace, which drops profit right to the bottom line. So, conflict resolution, uh, and I talk about this in both of my books around the circle of communication. Conflict re- is starting. We talked about a little before, where you start with the fact, you move to an assessment. You talk about your feelings, and then particularly for women who have been told not to use their feelings in the workplace, that it's not professional. This has been one of the biggest disservices that um, whatever that establishment was talked told women and other people not to use your feelings productively. So, um, And too often we start with the feeling. We get so mad at somebody. Jordan, man, you're late. You're screwing up. Whatever. It's just all about my feeling. Instead of trying to get to, and there's nowhere for you to go. Right, there's no way you go if I start with my feeling. However, if I start with the fact, Jordan, uh, that work uh, did not meet our standard. Uh, here's the standard, and here's the deviation. My, and then working to an assessment of that fact. My feel, my my assessment of that fact is that you didn't uh, that you got caught flat-footed. You were a little late, you know. You got caught behind the eight ball, and you didn't build enough time into your schedule. And you didn't feel like you could ask for help. My feeling is I'm so mad. I'm so pissed because I had to like, give up my five hours of time to fix your work. And I missed my, I don't know, I missed my dinner with whoever. My request is that, uh, that we don't let this happen again. And that you build in time so that I'm not caught having to fix your work. And my Offer and it's so so important in conflict resolution, not just demand, but to provide a solution that you are participating in. My my requ- my request and my offer to you is to help you at the beginning of the week look at your schedule or whatever. Give us something like that, right? Give them and the support so,
1: they need to, to do it right. Give the support they
2: need. Yeah. And the really where you find is that the assessment, my feelings obviously are driven by the assessment of the fact. Right. My, my, the fact sure. is that it was bad work. My session was that you didn't know. And my feeling is pissed. But if I, uh, most of the time the conflict is around, not the feeling, but the assessment. So the letting you say, Oh my gosh, I didn't know. I did. You're right. You could say either you're rightly, I didn't build enough time in, or you're wrongly. I didn't know this was a standard. Right. And no. then based on your response of the, um, of the assessment, then you can come to an agreement. Um, and that give and take that my request being very specific and my offer to help you succeed um, really gets to that resolution very quickly. Uh, if yeah. that has to happen over the same issue over and over again, obviously you have a situation that has to, uh,
1: uh,
2: results, <laughs> yes. obviously um, there's a door, right? <laughs>
1: Yes. But, All right. We uh, have to but take another I, break, Lee. We have to take another yeah. break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Lee Caraher. Uh, she's the CEO at Double Forte Public Relations and Digital Marketing in San Francisco. Uh, her website, com and her book we're going to discuss in the next segment is called The Boomerang Principle, Inspire Lifetime Loyalty from Your Employees. We'll be back after this.
3: stocks bonds investment opportunities financial news and talk we can help call us now toll free 866-472-5790 866-472-5790 voice america business network have you had a chance to check out voice
0: america's online magazine and blog press pass if you love our hosts and shows check out articles that give an even deeper perspective Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at vapresspass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA PressPass by
3: Voice America. All access all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome
1: back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Lee Caraher. She's the CEO at Double Forte PR and Digital Communications. Uh, her book is called The Boomerang Principle, and you can find out more at her website, Lee Welcome back to the show, Lee. Thanks, Jordan. So let's get into the boomerang principle. The idea is you want to make an environment that people not only want to leave, but want to come back to. So mm-hmm. just kind of explain why that's important for a company. To, you normally think when somebody goes out the door, they very rarely come back.
2: Correct. I think that the, an old way of thinking about it is, you know, when someone leaves, you're, they're dead to you. Um, and I find that this is very destructive, particularly in this very connected world that we live in today. Um, I said earlier, you know, when you, you when you hire someone, you know they're going to leave, um, and everyone who leaves you today can hurt you or help you. So um, we should all help be helping our former employees help us once they've left us, right? Um, and the whole point of this is, as I said earlier, millennials in general think they're going to have very many careers, many, many jobs over their career. And if you say that anyone who left you is no longer um, required You know, is dead to you. You are basically shutting down your recruiting pile by a lot. And if they made it through the net to get to you the first time, that person is probably ninety-nine percent of the time very qualified to serve again. Uh, And we're all looking for those top twenty percenters. That you know, no matter how good the economy is, no matter how bad the economy is, those top twenty percenters are always. Uh, in demand, and the more we can keep those top 20 percenters, the ones who we got through our net the first time, in our pile, the stronger and more sustainable our businesses are going to be.
1: Do you have a sense of of the people leaving, roughly what percentage leave for better jobs, what percent are fired, leave because they're dissatisfied? Just kind of get a sense of what it looks like for the people who are leaving.
2: Most people go leave a job to go to something else, Um, and uh, the difference for this generation is that it, they don't necessarily leave because they didn't like the job they have. They left because they have a plan for their lives that includes something different and they don't feel beholden to the company that hired them um, because they know they can't count on them to hold them for their whole careers, but they have an idea about what they want to accomplish. And they, um, Oh, the next piece is going to be over here. the, and most, you know, most people in this country are not fired. You know, it's actually a very small percentage of people. Uh, if you're fired, obviously you're not boomerang eligible, right? But there's no reason to. Um, there is actually no reason. Fundamentally, to say uh, you have to leave to get a better, to, to further your career, or you, have to, you can't come back if the time is right and the company's uh, ready to rehire you in order to either have a greater career over time or to create a stronger company uh, uh, over time as well.
1: There are two ways to get fired. I mean, you get laid off not because of anything you did, but the company is downsizing and not doing well, yep. and you can get fired because you did do something wrong. If, mm-hmm. if, if it's in the first category, just the company went through downsizing. Is it possible to to come back as well, or, or people just typically just leave a company and don't want to come back?
2: Well, I think coming back is actually a new, it's a much newer phenomenon than it has. You know, this is really something that's happened in the last 10 years, become more of an availability thing to more people. I'm actually a boomerang. I started my career in Boston at the Weber Group, and I was rehired at the Weber Shamwick, which was the company that it became. Um, and that was very unusual. And today is a little more usual. My company now is fifteen years old. We're small. we have thirty five people in our company, but fourteen people have been rehired and four people have been rehired twice. So it's more uh, possible today to be rehired. In terms of it's up to the employee, though, to be rehirable if you get laid off, right? <laughs> Uh, you want to be boomerang eligible, and it's up to you to be boomerang eligible no matter what the situation, if you got downsized or if you left or if you got fired. Because um, sometimes you, you might have been fired by a bad person. Uh, it's not all, you know, the company isn't always right. So uh, what do you how need do, you to,
1: do like, to become boomerang eligible, as you would put it?
2: Boomerang eligible is uh, being professional, right? Don't be an idiot. Don't, you know, don't put the salt in the sh- in the sugar shaker. Don't put. Uh, you know, don't booby trap people, the bathroom. People burn a lot
1: of bridges when they're fired. Typically. So
2: many bridges, right? And it's uh, which means makes a lot of sense. But you know, you've got to strap on that oxygen tank and take the high road. So you know, if you get fired or you get laid off or you leave, tie everything up in a bow. It, you know, if you walk out that door, send out an email. Send an email within the next week saying, "Here's all the things that I was working on. Here's my recommendation. How to you know so you don't you know drop any balls." Um, that's true for people who get laid off or people who leave voluntarily. You know, what was I working on? What are the due dates? What don't? What could happen uh, since I'm not there to attend it? Make sure that your your former employer knows what to do now that you're not there. They don't have to pay attention to you, but you have made the effort to make sure that the company doesn't uh, miss any beats because you're no longer there. That's number one. Number two is to um, don't, as I said, number one is don't burn the bridges. Number two is to uh, tie it up in a bow. And number three is to um, be professional. And if you, and be professional is to maintain your relationships with the company that makes sense. Not every relationship is going to make sense, but to maintain them. And then if you're out in the world and you think, you know, if, if you feel that the company, now this is not always true for the people who got fired, right? But the people who left or the people who got downsized, if you see opportunities that you think would be good for the company, bring them to their attention. That could be things that are people to hire that could be potential p- partnerships that could be potential deals. And if you're out there in the world and thinking, you know, oh, here's a good idea for ABC company, bring it to their attention, and that's way to become boomerang eligible. What what
1: is the strategic advantage to the company in putting in this boomerang principle?
2: Yeah. The biggest strategic to the company is the fact that companies that people return to are companies that people don't leave very easily. And the more we can in the, in an environment where people think they're not going to stay very long, and when am I when I mean what I mean by that, not very long is uh, a career, you know, a job that you would have thought someone would stay for two to four years. People stay for one to two now. A job that you thought people would stay for a decade, people stay for five. So if the company is you know longevity in great positions for great people is beneficial, and that's just say in half right now. And there's not a lot of data around this. If you create a company that people. Want to return to number one, every time you return somebody that gives um, that's a positive reinforcement that the world out there is not as green as the pasture you're already in. Number one, and number two, you are doing everything that you can um, to make it a good place to be because you don't people don't return to something that's terrible, people to return to something that's better than what exists. So that is not worrying about it, that's putting all your um, resources and your effort against the people who are. Are there today? So you're greening your own pasture, um, so that people return to it, which means people leave leave later. Talk
1: a little bit about the economics of retention. Uh, mm-hmm. Does it save a lot of money? And what are the oh, efficiencies of of keeping people that are good as mm-hmm. opposed to letting them go or firing them or having a lot of turnover?
2: Yeah. Well, uh, the rule of thumb is every person you leave costs two times their salary to replace. Um, I think it's probably actually much higher than that in terms of lost work or, or productivity from other people who have to replace the the time and the effort of the person that you just lost. So if you just use the rule of thumb on 2X, in my own business, um, we saw this with millennials where people under 30 were leaving um, in San Francisco, the average at the time I wrote this first book um, in 2012, 2013, where was it? 2012, 2013 was the average Average tenure of someone under 30 was 18 months, which is incredibly short, right? You've, you, they've, that person just barely gotten pr- productive at 18 months. So my goal was to keep people twice. If I can keep people twice as long as the average, then we're ahead because we're not spending all that time on uh, recruiting new people and covering for people and all that kind of stuff. And that was my sole focus. How do I get people to stay twice as long as the average? Uh, and that we have succeeded in that. Because and then what I know is on our own bottom line, every time I keep someone one extra year than the the, ta- the time that they thought they would come, uh, I have saved probably eighty percent of, uh, actually more than that I guess, eighty percent of the total cost. So of replacing somebody,
1: just because they're productive, they know what to do and don't have to be trained. They know what
2: to do. They don't have to be trained. They're uh, happy. You know, if they're happy. They're more productive more pro- and less friction. The more happier the workplace, the less friction there is. The less friction there is, the more profit there is. And it's, very, you know, it's, not, it's not la-la land to want a good place to work. It's actually a strategic advantage to the bottom line.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of companies, the, the, the impression they give is they don't really care about the employees. They're all replaceable, mm-hmm. and they let them go, particularly big companies. I and mean, you see mass layoffs all the time. Yep. And what kind of damage is that doing to the company?
2: Well, I mean, it's tremendous damage to the company. And a lot of the time you see mass layoffs for publicly traded companies who are uh, trying to return shareholder value over employee value. And that's a whole nother show, right? But um, (laughs) uh, really the waste in that uh, you might not see immediately, but you see it over the long term. And my my thought on this is that companies that – don't move that way. You know, American Airlines got dinged just a couple of months ago because they gave their, their pilots a raise to re- raise their pilots to the re- level of Delta and United. And the first thing that Wall Street did was drop their share price by over 4%. Well, there is no share price if you don't have pilots who stay in the jobs to fly the airplanes. It's very short-sighted. And while it is true that we move from quarter to quarter, particularly with publicly traded companies, um, everything we know about what's going on in the economy today says we have to take a longer line on that. And if people are your asset, which is what, you know, people are your (laughs) asset on that, Then uh, keeping the good ones in is um, a strategic advantage, and not letting them go and not having them be incented to go somewhere else is a strategic advantage to you always.
1: So, you're saying there's a conflict between Wall Street and what it wants and what's actually best for the company? Always. So, is there a way to have Wall Street understand that it's better to? have your employees be happy and retain them that's is that not possible
2: you know there are lots of journals on this and it seems like short-term gain always wins over long-term sustainability and there's you know there's tons of evidence on this right um so many publicly traded companies find other ways to not invest in the future because it hurts uh, the dividend and you know their their CEOs will get killed for it Ah, uh, even if it's only one percent, anything that you know—it just there's so so many examples of this that uh, you know acquisition or moving to Skunk Works or doing things that are off the bo- off the bottom line, so that they can be absorbed in different ways, uh, becomes the way to do things instead of uh, actually investing the money in the people you've hired to f- actually use their brains to get the thing done. That's another show too, Jordan. We could have. A- <laughs> <laughs> But I, I mean, these very not, about this comes
1: not doing what's in their own best interest. is basically what you're saying. <laughs> like,
2: you know, they're, they're hamstrung. They're hamstrung yeah. by activist um, investors who want, yeah. you know, the short term return, even though it may not be the lo- in the long term interest of that entity.
1: Yes. Okay, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Lee Carragher. She's the CEO of Double Forte Public Relations and Digital Marketing based in San Francisco. Her website, LeeCaraher.com, and her book we're discussing is called The Boomerang Principle, Inspire Lifetime Loyalty from Your Employees. We'll be back after this.
3: Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at Voice America TRN or twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, Lee Carraher, is CEO at Double Forte Public Relations and Digital Marketing in San Francisco. Uh, Her book we're discussing is called The Boomerang Principle. And her website is lee com. Welcome back to the show, Lee. Thanks, Jordan. One of the things you recommend is that companies set up an alumni club. Uh, do a lot of companies do that, and what is the benefit of that?
2: Most companies do not have this. Uh, some companies, uh, the, the you know the the ones that do have it are uh, definitely the consulting firms, PWC, Deloitte, McKinsey, um, and that's become part of their overall business strategy to, you know, um, have alumni from their organizations that then hire them back as consultants into their organizations, right? Um, but most companies do not have these alumni clubs. Uh, my recommendation is that every company have their own administered alumni program that's not sort of the rogue employees on LinkedIn but it's actually company administered and the benefits are um, very you know it's easy to see one you keep you keep in touch with everybody who's Worked for you. You keep them attached to your company over time. And they are uh, obviously, they came to you, they worked with you. 99% of them uh, had a good experience in some way, shape, or form, you know, even if it was only for a month, whatever it is, right? And you keep them. Uh, a connected to each other and B connected to the organization. The advantage of this, and then how? What do you give to them? What is the what? What would be the offer? One is that network that you keep everybody connected to each other and to the company. And two is you can you can provide lots of things that you would uh, provide to your uh, employees. You can provide them training. You can strip out. What, this is what McKinsey does so well. Um, they provide training for all of their. Um, uh, former employees in the form of the McKinsey Institute. And they provide, uh, do webinars twice a month that get thousands of people from McKinsey, um, McKinsey's alumni program to, you know, to have access to the McKinsey research. They don't have to do that, right? But it gives the people who have been at McKinsey such, um, one, to keep them tied to the organization, and two, it gives them lots of data and information that is beneficial to the career. They
1: probably refer business to McKinsey as well. All right? the time.
2: All the time, and the other piece is you could give. You know, um, Gap does a good does a thing. You know, their friends and family campaigns um, does this in a very informal way that keeps people attached to the organization with coupons and all that kind of stuff. So there's lots of things you can do of of value to give to your former employees that you would also give to your current employees. The other piece of that is that you by keeping people attached to you in the fact that you're keeping them up to date on what you're doing and who and who you're looking for. So the first place that people who have alumni programs do when they have a job opening is they put it in that alumni work network first before they post it in the world. They put it in the alumni network. And this is where, um, So, and I can tell you from my own experience in um, that probably half of our positions are filled by alumni, either by themselves or through their recommendations. So I've just cut out tremendous recruiting fees by putting it into my alumni network.
1: Um, I would you say then, to, to a surprise and delight them? How, what would be some suggestions?
2: Surprise and delight. So surprise and delight on that is uh, things that you, you know, tchotchkes or T-shirts or a coupon or those kinds of things that people would find, oh, that's sort of nice, you know, that you don't have to do. It doesn't cost you a lot of money, um, but it honors the fact that they've they worked for you and that you value them going forward.
1: Indeed. Um, so how should employees approach leaving so they can come back in the first place? Mm
2: -hmm. So we talked a little bit about this before. So one is, you know, one, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be a total surprise to people if you're leaving, right? You should be having open conversations with your manager, Uh, Hopefully that is happening. Uh, And they should know what you want to get accomplished because maybe what you want to get accomplished can be done within the constructs of the company. They just didn't know that you wanted to do something different. So that's number one. Number two is to tie everything up in a bow, like I said, to be very clear that what's going on, what could fall apart. And then number three is to thank people. You know, write, write a note. Write a handwritten note to the 10 people you that matter most to you. But thank people for being your colleague. Thank people for doing things that helped you in your career while you were at that company. And then when you leave, you know, make sure you're all connected on LinkedIn. And then when you leave, it's up to you to keep the constructs, you know, to keep those relationships going. I mean, not the next week. Don't get drinks, right? <laughs> but, you know, the after you've been gone for three or four months, you know, You know, get back in touch with those 10, 12 people that really matter to you um, and maintain those relationships over time and ask how you can help them. How can I help you? I'm out here. How can I help you? Um, A lot of the time, no one has an idea of how you can help them. But just asking them um, goes a long way in terms of keeping that relationship strong and alive.
1: You talk about the difference between personal and talent brands at work. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that?
2: So the personal brand is my personal brand. Lee Carraher is a personal brand of mine. And really with uh, today, with Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and Internet and all that kind of stuff, right, we all have our personal brands. And the people who have the strongest personal brands, personal professional brands, are the ones who have the most options in their career, so, uh for everybody, uh, they need a LinkedIn profile. They should capture their as many names as they can on their you know their own names on their website, create a website, and just as a placeholder, if you can't do it with your own name, have a Twitter or Instagram snap, you just always get your name on a new platform, number one, so that no one else can be you. The difference between employer the movement on the corporate side is the difference between employer brands and talent brands. Employer brands are the ones that are the great places to work, right? The great places to work. They have a lot of uh, perks and um, benefits and all kind of stuff. The difference is the great places to work. everybody wants to work for a great place to work, regardless of their own talent. Talent brands are where great people work. So the top the top twenty percenters, the top twenty five percenters, um, work at the top talent brands and great talent wants to be around other great talent. They're not necessarily motivated by all the benefits that Great employer, you know, great places to work end up having, and uh, the difference on those t- that on that is that people who move go, who move through great talent brands have more options in their careers than the people who work just for pl- places that are great for work. This is a new thing that's just starting to happen now, that really has to c- that really is about. What the future of work is going to look like when we think about the blend between employers, solopreneurs, and gig economy um, and platforms like that. And how companies are going to be able to attract the best talent to move their, for- their companies and their missions forward.
1: So people want more than just keys or pay. Uh, they want to feel they're working with other people uh, mm-hmm. They can learn from and and develop, and Absolutely. that's a big part of what they're they're. So as you say, talented people attract other talented people to some extent.
2: Yeah. I think Netflix is probably the the on the way edge of the extreme of what that looks like you know Netflix uh, only hires quote unquote fully formed adults there are very few people there who are under the age of 30 um, they have none they don't have a ping pong table there right there's none, none of the stuff that you think about as a uh, internet company they don't get free lunch you know all this kind of stuff they they stack all of their comp uh, into compensation, into what they call the, you know, unrestricted time off policy, which actually means that people don't take time off. What the thing about, and Netflix also has a team approach. They, um, they think about it sort of like a baseball team, get the best first baseman, best short, shortstop. And when you're no longer the best, but you're still very good, they reward um, uh, over performance with a great severance package. right? And if, and if you um, worked at Netflix, you can find a job anywhere.
1: What, what has been the um, What has been the reaction to the book that's been out for a few months now? What What have you been hearing back from companies about this?
2: You know, I have spoken now in many companies and and many many companies and with people and a few things. One people people who thought it was crazy, like oh my gosh, Lee, that's nuts. When I actually have conversations with them, they're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense right? um, And for some of the CEOs that I've talked to and done workshops for, um, they've been putting these, just even getting to the, um, creating the alumni program really has a benefit internal to the company too, like I describe in the book. And it's already making a difference to the companies who are, or, who are starting to do that. So, so far so good. And I, you know, that's my, in the end, my mission is that you know, work does not have to suck. We can all have – it doesn't have to suck. Most of us have to work. And the leaders um, who are working at the, at the corporate level, at the division level, at the team level, we all can make work uh, more sustainable and a better place by doing the things that keep people attached to us over time. In about a minute or
1: so we have left, just kind of sum up what a difference it will make in both an individual and company's life to put the boomerang principle into, into effect.
2: For a company, what this does is keep people in their seat, keep good people in their company longer, which it obviously then drops down to the bottom line in terms of profit. It creates places that have less personal friction between people and teams, and more alignment um, in an organization. Therefore, more efficiency. Therefore, more profit. Number that's number one is all about. Being a sustainable business. For people, the um, what it does, the putting the boomerang principle into place at companies, for people what that does is create better talent brands that people with great personal brands will want to work for so um, that they – can identify those companies that are worthy of them, and think about it, the other point of view, right? Where they would go and find people of like ilk who are high performers, who want to achieve something really cool, who aren't just complete, don't want to just sit around and do, you know, twiddle their thumbs and just sort of push yeah. paper. And those things together, are what this is—the future of work is about. Because the pressure is not going to go away for delivering profit. It's only going to get harder in our international workplace.
1: Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Lee Carraher. She's the CEO at Double Forte Public Relations and Digital Marketing in San Francisco. Her book is called The Boomerang Principle Inspire Lifetime Loyalty from Your Employees. And you can find out more at her website, leecarraher.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The
0: Money Answer Show, Lee.
2: Thank you so much, Jordan.
1: Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show.
0: Goodbye for now.